as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I've got to tell you, when I saw that this was the next passage we were at in the book of Luke, it was another one of those moments where I looked at God and said, I was just reminded, He knows what He's doing. As I look at what's going on in our community this weekend, yesterday was the day of service, and it was awesome. Uh, for a while we didn't know how many projects were going to go on because it was raining Friday, but then the sun broke out yesterday morning, and I tell you, that rain, for those of us who are on weeding projects, those weeds just... They've, I've never pulled weeds so easy as we did yesterday. There was some confusion. Some people saw the list of projects, and it said weed at Granville Elementary School. It was weeds, not weed. Just so <laughs> I want to make sure there's no confusion. <laughs> but there, there were things going on all over this community, schools and shelters, and the light of Jesus was shown into this community as people served. We glowed in the dark, just like those shirts that we wear, those orange shirts that look like Department of Correction shirts. But then today, we've got service this morning where we come to hear His Word and worship. And tonight is the night of worship on the square where many churches come together to sit at the feet of Jesus and sing His praises and to hear from His Word again. And as I looked at that and looked at this story, I thought, wow, God, we've got just this little synopsis of our weekend right here. And I think there's a lot of things we can learn and be encouraged by, uh, challenged by. This family, as many of you know, Mary, Martha, and their brother was Lazarus. They were close friends with Jesus. They'll come up a couple other times in the Gospels. Jesus knew them well. And I just like that idea that, that Jesus, Son of God, God Himself in flesh, had close friends. I mean, that, that, that reminds us the importance of it and how serious he was about relationships. He wasn't just here to deliver a cold message. He was here to build relationships of love with the people he sought to save. So he knows these, these folks well, and, and he shows up at their house. And in, in this story, we're going to look at three ideas. Preachers always do three, right? Almost always. A couple weeks ago, we had seven, and I think a couple of you freaked out. Like, we're back to three this week. <laughs> um, three ideas about service as we serve God, and I think they'll help us evaluate our service to God as we look at this little story. We're going to do kind of a heart check as we look at this and, and see, is my service for God coming from, from the right heart, or is there some work that He wants to do through the Holy Spirit in my heart? Uh, the first thing I want to look at, as, as we serve Jesus, and you could say what, whatever you do here on Sunday morning, so many of you serve in so many ways, day of service yesterday, how you serve Him in your home, at your workplace, think of all those things. As we serve Him, first idea, 
Do I complain as I serve him? Or am I serving him with this overflowing joy? I can picture Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and having this great conversation, and Martha's hearing these nuggets, and man, it's going awesome. And I can see Martha in the kitchen. But as you can see from what she says, she, she's starting to get annoyed. She, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? I mean, she's coming to Jesus and saying, don't you care? All right, so this is affecting not only her relationship with her sister, she's saying, Jesus, I'm not sure you care about me right now. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> now, how many of us love that idea of telling God to tell other people what to do? Like, yes, there's a couple people some of you are thinking of. Like, yeah, God, tell them. <laughs> That's where she's at. I can see her preparing this elaborate meal and you know maybe as she sets dishes down setting them down a little louder than she really needs to so everybody hears here's the crashing sees the sweat sees what's going on but what's what's happened to her her service which is her service was a good thing it, it's her heart is turned she's complaining instead of serving with joy Warren Wiersbe said this few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. He says, if serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. I think that's a poignant statement. Hugh Halter talks about it this way in his book, The Tangible Kingdom Primer, that missionality without the love of Christ can do more harm than good. It's like fire. It's helpful if it's in a fireplace. It can keep us warm. I can roast marshmallows on it. Service within the fireplace of love is a beautiful thing, but if it gets outside there, it can burn things down. Right? What was it that Paul said we're like if we go out and serve but don't have love? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Bill's multi-talented. A few months ago, he walked in here in a biker vest and a bandana and did John the Baptist, modern day. <laughs> how, how would you like that if, if, if that's all you heard all morning? I mean, three times is enough. <laughs> it's annoying, and that's what Paul says we're like. If We can be doing all sorts of things. Give all that I have to the poor, he said. I mean, he's not just talking about little things. Give my life. <laughs> but I don't have love. I'm just annoying. That's some of what we're getting at in this story. Neil Anderson painted a picture of this that I thought was powerful. He, he pictured all the elements of our lives as spokes on a wheel. We all have multiple spokes. And you can think of what those spokes are in your life. You know, worship, prayer, service, loving my spouse... Uh, working hard, being an honest employee, exercising, eating right. You know, we've, we've all got all these spokes on our wheel. But he says what happens sometimes, we take all these good things and we keep them disconnected from Christ, right? That we just sort of go out there and try to do them in our own power and in our own way. And he says the people that do that often become very legalistic and judgmental. When, when we get like that, when we do all these good things apart from Christ, we know all the right things to do, and we're quick to tell other people how to do them in a very 
judge, judgmental way. But we don't have the love of Christ. He says what we need to do with all of those elements of our life is make sure that Christ is the hub. That our relationship with Christ is central. And he says the people that are there, that they have that close prayer and listening and empowering from Christ, they're the, the loving ones. They're the ones that produce fruit with, with little effort because it's Christ doing it in them. They're the ones that reflect the things we read in the Beatitudes. And he invites us to ask, when you look at the spokes on your life, are they sort of just hanging out there disconnected or are they all connected to Christ? That's the first one. Are you complaining as you serve or are you serving with this overflowing joy? You think about that, that joyful attitude. I saw it yesterday. I mean, I walked around this school campus and there are people joking and laughing, people bringing fresh baked pumpkin, pumpkin squares and brownies and people playing worship songs on their cell phones. It wasn't, I didn't see anybody walking around like someone peed in their communion cup. Okay? I, 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 I saw a bunch of people <laughs> serving Jesus <laughs> with happy hearts because they were happy for the opportunity. And I'm sure if I could have gone all around the community to all 50 projects... I would have seen it there. I've seen it in our missional communities, helping hands in other places. When you get together and serve Jesus, you don't have to pretend like you're a martyr. <laughs> it can actually be really enjoyable when it's coming from Him. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to serve with joy instead of complaining. The second one, as you serve, are you comparing your service to that of other people? <laughs> or are you finding fulfillment in the service that God has gifted you and called you to? Watch, watch how Martha's focus shifted from what she was doing to Mary. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Her eyes are on the other people, right? And I thought about that. What would that look like on a Sunday morning here? Like if we, we started having an all-out feud in the different areas that serve here. Like, like I started coming up here and ragging on the, the worship team. Like those guys and their instruments, just come up here and strum a few songs. And, <laughs> they just sing. What, what is that, you know? What, what are these guys doing? And Aaron says, that Pastor Scott, all he does is... He's, he's full of hot air. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we came to appreciate our gifts a couple weeks ago. We were, we were having a missional community. And there was a song that I wanted to, the group to be introduced to, Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. And it was one of the few songs that Aaron had never come across. There are a few of those. I was surprised. It, it's like stumped the worship pastor. I was like, yes, I finally got one. <laughs> it was Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. And rather than doing what I should have done and gone to YouTube and let Fernando Ortega introduce them to the song, I, <laughs> I said, I'll lead into this group. Now, Carolyn always gets nervous, even when it's time to sing Happy Birthday, because I always start an octave too high, and I change keys about three times. We got through the song, and I think it was a meaningful evening, but I, while I always appreciated their gifts, I appreciate them even more now. <laughs> what if the setup crew, Randy and Brenda, you're like, these, these welcome people, they just show up in the lobby and shake hands. 
it, it would be an awful environment if we started lifting ourselves up and comparing ourselves to others, wouldn't it? Sometimes we do that as churches, right? We start to feel defensive about our church, and so we've got to rag on another church for what they do or they don't do. I see it sometimes in the big church, small church argument. And I'm not saying it, it, it's okay. If you feel comfortable in a small church, that's good. If you feel comfortable in a big church, that's good. Everybody's wired a little different. But like this day of service thing, sometimes you, you go out there and talk to people about it, and they hear like some of the bigger churches are involved. And like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't want to get involved with those mega churches. But I'll tell you something. In addition to a heart of love from those mega churches, one of the things that I saw from some of those mega churches is like a $10,000 budget for this day of service to pour financial love into this community. Guess what? God gifted them and they're using it. Let's stop comparing. Let's work together. We all bring our gifts to the table. Jesus, even talking to Peter at the end of his time on earth, you remember, he, 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 he told him, I don't like when you worry about what other people are doing. John 21, they're on the beach. He tells Peter what's going to happen to him. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. You're going to die for me, Peter. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. It's, you can understand why Peter would want to change the subject. I mean, that was some heavy news. But he looks at John and says, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And the message to Peter and the message to us is stop worrying so much about what you think God has called everybody else to and focus on what has He gifted me at and find fulfillment in it. I mean, what if Peter had lived the rest of his life like, doggone it, like, I wish I had been able to write the book of Revelation. You know? Why did he pick John? You know? No, Peter went out there with passion and took that message to the world. He was focused on what Jesus called him to do. That's what he invites us to do. Paul does it too. 1 Corinthians 12. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? I like to say Mike Wazowski. But as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need each other. And so it doesn't make sense to compare what makes sense is to find fulfillment of what God has called me to do and stop looking around. C.S. Lewis said, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I think that's powerful because, what's he saying? As long as we're focused on looking down on everybody else around us, we miss God. We miss God and, and what he wants to do. So are you finding fulfillment or complaining? Last one. Are you distracted by many things as you serve? Or are you focused on and listening to Jesus? Verse 40 said, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
What did Jesus say to her? He said, Martha, Martha. I don't envision him yelling those words or saying them out of some strong condemnation. Many scholars look at the fact that he said it twice means that he, he had a great compassion and love for her. Martha, Martha, he, he loved her. He said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So what's at the, the core of what's going on here? She's distracted by many things. She's worried, and she's upset, right? Okay. There's a word for worry that's used elsewhere. It's the idea of being double-minded. Double-minded. Having our mind trying to tune into more than one radio station at the same time. You, ever, you're, you can't do that on a radio, can you? But we try it in our minds, and, and our minds don't, don't work well when we import too many stations. I'm, I'm worried about this thing at work. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about this relationship. I'm worried about this. We're built to be single-minded. He had said this in Luke chapter 8, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I think what Jesus sees here, he sees one of his disciples that he loves, and he calls to her in compassion. He does not want her to be choked by these worries. He doesn't want that for her. He said the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. They hear the word and they hold on to it and then they produce a crop. Richard J. Foster, anybody read anything by him? Great when it, when it comes to talking about the spiritual disciplines. He says the enemy majors in three things in contemporary society. Noise, hurry, and crowds. He says if he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, the enemy will rest satisfied. One of his greatest tools. Sometimes we don't even realize he's using it. We look back at what Jesus said in this story. He said, few things are needed. What, what is that? Most, most believe that the few things that are needed, he's saying, Martha, I don't need uh, Martha Stewart, better homes and garden kind of meal here, okay? I know, <laughs> I know you love me, <laughs> but you're, you're working so hard, you're doing more than you need to the point where you're distracted by it and you're worried by it. Nothing wrong with a a really nice meal, as long as it doesn't distract you. But we just need, need some food. Make, make something simple, come, come sit down. Those are the few things, the, the simple food. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop at few things. Few things are needed, or indeed, only one. The one thing is what we really want to focus on. Listen to me. Listen to me. He's saying, Martha, it's, it is so vital. It is essential that you listen to my words, that you take them in, that you let them change you. So what do we take from this? <laughs> this first one, I thought about this, and I'm like, man, I've got to make this clear as a pastor. <laughs> Don't stop serving. 
it would be awful if I got a line of people after, uh, <laughs> I'm going to quit. You know, I'm not going to help with the kids. I'm not going to help in the lobby. God, we need people with gifts to serve. We need everybody to use their gifts, right? Don't stop serving, but simplify it where you need to. All right, simplify it where you need to. How do I know that he's not speaking against the service that Martha was offering? Well, think of the context that we've just come from in Luke chapter 10. At the beginning, he sent the 72 out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Right? Go and and serve and spread the word. Heal, cast out demons. And then right after that, we have this awesome parable of the Good Samaritan. Be a neighbor to those in need. Right? So he cannot be speaking about against serving after he's just told us the importance of it. But he would remind us that at the beginning of the Good Samaritan, when that man came, that man told Jesus the two greatest commandments when Jesus asked him, and what was the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Then, love your neighbor as yourself. The order is not accidental because the second flows out of the first. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. Morris said this. He said, Luke may have placed this Mary and Martha story right after the Good Samaritan as a safeguard against any of his readers coming under the misapprehension that salvation is by works. He makes the point that waiting quietly on the Lord is more important than bustling busyness. We have to spend that time at Jesus' feet. It's not... Do I serve? Do I spend the time? Charles Wesley brought them together in a great hymn. That he, he wrote over 10,000 hymns. <laughs> That's before they had computers. Listen to what he said. He said, Faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. You see how they come together in that beautiful hymn? So what do we do? Well, We come to the feet of Jesus. Verse 39, it says, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said. Whenever she got the chance, she was at Jesus' feet. John chapter 11, when their brother Lazarus had died, listen to what it says. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw Him. She fell at His feet. I said, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. In her pain... She's at his feet. John chapter 12, there's another meal. The six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Here's one of the ways we know Martha's service wasn't wrong. She's doing it again here, and guess what? You don't hear any complaining. I think she got Jesus' message. She got his discipleship. She received that. She's serving him again. But listen to what happens with Mary. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There she is again in her worship at Jesus' feet. I like what Jesus said when she did that, because you remember Judas was like, hey, 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 we should not waste that on Jesus' feet. We should sell that and use it for the poor. 
But we know from what the gospel authors say, he didn't really care about the poor. He, just, he was taken from the account. He wanted that money. But what Jesus said strikes me. John 12, 8, he says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now let's take this in context. We know that Jesus loves the poor and the outcast and the broken. We've seen it over and over in his ministry. We see it all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what's he doing? He is showing them how important it is to worship him. He's elevating that above everything. Guess what? In the process, we get both because he knows as we worship him and connect to him, his love for the poor is going to come through us. He knows if we don't love him, if we don't worship him, we may try some good things in our own power, but it ain't going to amount to a hill of beans. Remember, Jesus is the source of your Christian life. That's another key. What do I do with this? I want to do a little, little inventory. How many of you think that the essence of the Christian life is knowing Christian principles and trying your best to live them out? Great crowd. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Neil Anderson says he, go, he does conferences across the country with rooms full of Christians. He'll ask that question, and most hands will go up. And he'll say, almost everything in that statement is wrong. It's not us trying in our own power. It's us connecting to Jesus, abiding in Him, remaining in Him, continuing in Him, and then allowing Him to live His life through us. That is grace in action. Colossians 2, walk in Jesus. Be built up in Him. Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord. Colossians 2, grow by holding fast to the head, which is Christ. Romans 13, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's the source. In his own words, John 15, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. A couple weeks ago, we pruned our tree in the backyard because I, I like those trees where you can walk underneath them. And some of the branches were kind of low. So I cut them off and threw them in the back of my truck. And I was going to take them that day, and then something happened, and then something else happened. And so like a week or two later, I'm like, okay, I better finally take these things to the dump. Those branches looked a whole lot different than they did when they were on the tree. There was some ugly, gnarly brown leaves hanging on there. When I drove down the highway, the people behind me, I'm sure, did not appreciate it because they're just flying off all over the place. Why did those leaves die? Because I cut those branches off from the source of life. They were no longer good for anything. Jesus says the same about our life with Him. Neil Anderson says, Abiding in Christ's words doesn't simply mean that we think about propositional truths concerning Jesus. It means we let His truths help us to more fully come to know and treasure Him as our personal truth in life. It always comes back to Him. 
goes beyond ideas and thoughts and do this, do that. It always comes back to Him. Meditate. It's an important part of the Christian life. Sometimes the word makes us cringe because we, we go right to Eastern religi- religions and we think of emptying our minds, right? Biblical meditation is a whole different animal. But we know it's biblical. All right, li- listen to these verses in the Bible. Psalm 63, 6, David said, I think of you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 119, he says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate upon your promise. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So what is biblical meditation? Howard Hendricks had a way of saying things that just really hit home. He said it's chewing the cud. How many of you grew up on farms? Anybody? With cows? A little bit? They got a nasty process most of us know about. They, they eat their grass. They swallow their grass. Then they barf up their grass and chew on it some more. When they're out there chewing most of the day, that's what they're chewing on. Now you drive down Glassford Hill Road, you think about that. Howard Hendricks said that's what meditation is. You read God's Word. You swallow it. You take it in. And then throughout the day, you bring it back up. And chew on. (laughs) It ain't pretty, but you won't forget it, right? (laughs) I also think it's important to listen to the Spirit who He gave us. Jesus promised that the Spirit would remind us of all things that Jesus has said. And Richard Johnson gives a great exercise. There's nothing magical in this. I don't want you to think there's anything magical or kooky. You know, we're multidimensional beings, and often what we do with our bodies and our minds affects what goes on in our soul and our spirit, okay? There are different postures of worship. Sometimes when we raise our hands, that, that's a way of just showing our awe of God. We fall on our face, our, our humility. We kneel down, again, our humility. We clap our hands, our celebration. We're multidimensional. He has this exercise that he calls palms down, palms up. If you're looking for one more tool, say, how do I meditate? How do I sit at the feet of Jesus? I like this. He said, sit down, put your palms down on your thighs in a picture of letting things go. They're upside down because you're letting things go. And he gives this example. Lord, I give to you my anger toward John. I release my fear of my dentist appointment this morning. <laughs> Amen. I surrender my anxiety over not having enough money to pay the bills this month. I release my frustration over trying to find a babysitter tonight. You could plug all your situations in there, but the picture is releasing these things to God. Nothing magic here. It's a physical picture of what you're doing in your heart. He said, turn your palms up as a picture of receiving from the Lord. And in these examples, Lord, I would like to receive your divine love for John. Your peace about the dentist, your patience, your joy. And then listen. See what the Spirit reminds you of from His living Word and how He shows you to apply it in those situations. The bottom line here is Jesus and our relationship with Him is the power source for any good service we're going to do. The other day I was in the car with Carolyn and the boys and we were rushing to a, a school interview 
our cell phones are running low and we're plugging them both into the adapter and we're like, man, it's not charging and we're messing with the cord. We're, we're busy. I mean, we're, I'm driving too. I should have let her just do it, but we're, why isn't this? <laughs> and I look down and, oh, it's dangling out of the cigarette lighter. Push it in. Ah, all of a sudden it's charging. It wasn't that we weren't trying. <laughs> it just wasn't connected to the power source. That's what we're learning here. If we want to have effective service, we've got to be connected to the power source. And he's so much more than that. He's a loving Savior that wants a relationship with us. He wants that. He invites that. Thomas Constable was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he got a letter from a student that graduated years later. This student was on the mission field, was discouraged, was burnt out. And he wrote his professor. He said, I remember how in the Gospels class that you taught, you told us that our hearts have to be set not on doing God's work or sharing God's word, but on loving God. And that helped him with the turnaround. Don't go out of here focusing on, oh, I've got to love serving. Or I've got to love sharing God's word. Focus on loving Jesus. Loving the Father. And let Him do it through you. As I close, I want to share with you about a special person in my life. I remember a few things from kindergarten, first grade, when I was that age. Uh, a couple things stand out. One was when I was in kindergarten, when you were the last one out of the bathroom on the bathroom break, you were supposed to make sure everybody was out of the bathroom. I forgot one day, and I, Andrew Koch was in the stall. And I shut the light off, and we heard screams and and I remember the interview with Mrs. Teeters, my teacher, where there was a SWAT on the line. She was trying to determine if it was on purpose or not, and it wasn't. I remember that. I remember a girl with nacho cheese breath that always wanted to kiss me when I was trying to get my backpack. <laughs> but I remember more than anything that I had some awesome teachers. There was a Christian school in Ohio. Mrs. Teeters, to this day, connects with me on Facebook and sends words of encouragement and prayers. My kindergarten teacher, just this morning she posted this, and I thought this was a fitting close to where, where we've been today. She said, The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's from John 10. And I'll make her prayer in her Facebook post our closing prayer this morning. You bow your head and close your eyes. Dear Jesus, our shepherd, while we make special time to worship you every Sunday, let us not forget you on other days. May we this day be blessed as we receive your word of hope.